0: Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Um, as I said, I'm a teacher at Mueller College. Um, I go to a church called Life Point, which has a community that's probably roughly the same size as this, actually. Um, and every time I come to Creekside, I get a bit jealous because your facilities are so excellent. Like you've got literally a cafe there, and then another cafe there. Like two cafes seems a bit greedy, but we have zero cafes. We have International Roast is our cafe. If anyone's been to church world for their whole life, they're very familiar with international roast. It is the go-to church coffee, and it's borderline oil. Um, and yeah, and, and actually, actually, well, last time I was here, I was I was meeting with Shane. I think I saw him before, um, just checking out your facilities. Our church has been around for about 15 years. We're around about your size, and we're starting. To, we, we've been renting space our entire church life. Um, Primarily, um, and for those of you who aren't Christians, you probably wouldn't understand what this is like, but for those of you who are, we've primarily rented off organisations that aren't Christian organisations, and so we're always in this kind of battle to try and get a decent rent, um, and knowing that at any moment if a business came around and said we want the space, we'd be booted. Um, and so, yeah, just looking at this and thinking what benefit it is to have your own property, we're kind of on that journey now to see if we can get our own property out, kind of Kippering, Rothwell, Mango Hill sort of area. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Uh, we're in a series called Relationship Go- uh, Goals, not girls, I almost said girls then. <laughs> girls are a critical part of a relationship goal. Um, I, I, I'm married, I've been married for a while, I don't know how long, F- 15 years maybe. I've got four children, uh, all boys, so um, yeah, I, we have a pretty crazy life to be perfectly honest. It's now almost winter and so therefore, because they're young, they're sick, um, so two of them have just horrible coughs at the moment. So my wife and the kids were going to come tonight, this morning, but just it didn't work out. Um, but that all said, I, I, if we can go to the, the next slide for me. I, I'd like to tell you how I started dating my wife. It was a very romantic occasion, as you can imagine. I'm here to speak about relationships. I'm obviously going to be the relationship guru when it comes to this, I'd, I had been attracted to her at church for a long time. She actually was my sister's uh, friend, and that's how I got to meet her. I thought, yeah, she's all right. I might see if I can try and woo her. Um, and so, you know, do the things that you do to try and get the attention of a girl. You, like, r- write them really horrible letters and hope that works. You give them, like, one-on-one time where you, like, be really vulnerable because you think that might help attract the girl, um, I learned how to play guitar, because that's what the ladies love, right? I, I mean, I thought, I don't know. Um, and then one day, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I think I'm in. I think, I've, I think she likes me back, so I'm going I'm to make this work. I'm going to jump in here. And so what, what's the obviously good thing to do if you want to, like, date somebody? Well, I, I thought I'd I better take her to the most romantic place I could think of, which was Hungry Jack Strathpine. And I was going to ask her, do you want to go out with me? But I got too nervous. And so I just went straight in for a kiss. Now, it look, it was an ugly teenage kiss. Like, neither of us, I think, had really kissed anyone before. So it was not like if there was a video, everyone would have just gone, oh, oh, because we didn't know what we were aiming for it. Anyway. It was a terrible way to jump into a relationship, um, but sure enough, she kissed me back, <laughs> yes, um, and then a number of years later, we got engaged and got married, and the, re- the rest is history. Um, so when I get up here this morning to give you some relationship advice, I do not come from a position of expertise. I, I have done many of the wrong things when it comes to being in a good good relationship, and feel like I've just got a good God who's led me along the way to make it all work out in the end. Um, that said, if you want to take your you know, prospective lover to Hungry Jacks, I can confirm that it may indeed work out for you in the end. I did a lot of research um, in preparation for this talk. Um, I read about six books on how to have a good marriage. Um, most of them were average, like or below average, to be perfectly honest. But I, I did get a bit of gold. Um, and I'm just going to share a bit of that with you today. And I've come up with this really awesome title. I'm really happy with the title of my talk, um, I'm an English teacher as well, and I thought, no, yeah, you can go that one, that's fine. This, I thought this was really clever. The first and second of making marriage last. You see how it's got like first, second and last in there? I, no one? I thought that was really clever. Thank you, a little clap over here. Yeah. I, I felt like that was quite poetic. Um, the first and second of making marriage last. And in terms of where I actually got the best advice um, in preparing this message, and this is actually advice I heard a long time ago. Um, I mean, it sounds cheesy and you're in church and you kind of expect it, but it was actually from the Bible. There's some key principles in there, which are just, once I kind of got my head around that, it really did make all of the difference. When marriage got hard, um, when it thought like, I don't know, if I'd made the right decision, I'm just going to have to kind of buckle down and just make it through the rest of my life, like if that's what I'm going to do. These principles really did help me actually realize that, no, this can go okay. This can be good. This marriage can actually last. And that so I'm going to do a bit of Bible stuff and then at the very end I'm going to show you a bit of actual research. Um, I always love it when some relationship people or any people do a bit of scientific research and what they find confirms what the Bible already says. Uh, but I want to bring that to you as well just to kind of wrap it all up. So first point, the first of marriage, that, that last, comes from a book of the Bible uh, called 1 Peter. Now Peter was one of Jesus' best mates. Like, if Jesus was, was going to get married, Peter would probably have been the groomsman, right? Like, if he was going to go on a fishing trip, he might have taken Peter with him. Actually, Jesus did go fishing, so that's probably not a good illustration. But um, if, if Jesus was having a, a, a blokes night and they're going to, you know, play 500, Peter would be there, okay? The, his closest friend. And when, in the book of Peter, so this is this book that Peter wrote after Jesus had died. He wrote a book, um, to us, to Christians, to explain what's going on, he used this phrase in a verse. He used, he used the phrase of first importance. So, when like the best buddy of Jesus writes the words of first importance, other translations might put it as the most important thing or of highest importance. If someone starts with that phrase, you'd probably be pretty confident that what comes next is really important, right? Because it's of first importance. Of first importance. Here's the back, of the, the back of the verse. You might have heard it before. Love one another deeply. What's the most important thing? Of first importance is love. Now, you probably have heard similar before. It's in, it's in the Bible elsewhere. Uh, Jesus says it himself. He says, A new commandment I give to you. And how's that phrase end? Love one another. You've, you've probably heard these verses before. And if you had known before you got here this morning... Okay, so the talk today is going to be about how to make my marriage last, and the answer is love. You'd be like, let's bring the collection bucket back around, I want my $20 back, because that is way too easy. Like, that's obvious, come on, like love, is that, that's the answer? But It's a little bit trickier than that, and because I'm a teacher, I teach English as well as history, one of the things I like about English is grammar. Now some of you are kids, Ethan up there, I've seen you around Mueller, you, you love grammar, well, we're going to get into some grammar today. You need to trust your grammar. Grammar is very important. It is in these verses because it describes a critical difference between how the Bible used the word love, love one another, love each other deeply, and how we describe love. So when I watch a Hollywood film about love, a romantic comedy that I'm trying to win brownie points by forcing myself through, right? When I'm watching one of those movies, the phrase we often hear people say is, I have fallen in love. I've fallen in love. As though love is something that happens to you. Something that you don't have control over. It just appears and then you're in it. Whereas when the Bible uses the word love, it describes it differently It uses these words. It says... Oh, can you go back one for me, please, mate? Go back. Yeah, just stay there. It says, You love one another. You can see here that the word love appears differently in the sentence. In all sentences, generally speaking, there are a few exceptions, but they have this grammatical structure of subject, verb, object. The subject is the person doing the thing. The verb is what you're doing. And the object is who you're doing it to. In modern culture... Love is the object. So we, us, fall into. Falling is the the action, and then love is a thing. It's like a swimming pool you jump into, right? And then it gets cold and you jump back out of it again. Love is something that once it goes cold, we want out of. But that's not how it's described in the Bible. Here we have love is the verb. I don't know if it's twigged with you yet because grammar is usually not that exciting. Today it's exciting. Because what this is saying is that love is an action. Love is not something that comes and goes. It's not a pool which will be hot and you're loving it and then it gets cold and you want to jump out of. That is not how the Bible would describe what love is. The Bible would say love is something you do. It is an action action. Of first importance, do loving things. Be a loving person. Put love into action because love is of first importance. It's not like the love comes and goes. It's something I have no control over. Love is something you have control over. You are the subject. Love is the verb and your partner is the object. I think that's a really good place to start, because if you're looking at your relationship or the future relationship you want to one day have, understanding that while at the moment of kind of Hungry Jack's drive through or whatever it might be, you might feel like you're falling into love, from that moment on, you've got to make the conscious decision that love is something you will do, that love is an action. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. There's one other cool bit of advice I think is really helpful, so... Once we understand the principle, first importance, love one another. Love each other deeply. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to love someone? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us hanging. It gives us a bit of gold, a bit of advice, and I'm going to call this the second. I'll explain to you why. This next passage is from a book um, of the Bible called Philippians. So if you don't know the Bible, the Bible is not one book. It's a series of books all kind of stapled together. Um, the New Testament, which is the stuff that came after Jesus, is actually a bunch of letters. As a general rule, written to different people or places or to, for different purposes. This particular letter was written to the church at Philippi, uh, simply to instruct Christians there and everywhere how they can go about living this new Christian thing that's just shown up. It is a v- relatively re- new belief system, and so the uh, kind of Christian leaders of the time felt like they needed to tell everyone what's going on and how to kind of live with this. And so the the guy who wrote this one is a guy named Paul. Paul is probably the smartest dude in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, obviously. Probably one of the smartest Christians of all time, to be perfectly honest. Um, His biggest book, Romans, is considered to be like the most important theological kind of description of how faith in Christ works um, for all time. People still read it today. Like this is a letter written 2,000 years ago, and yet you can still do a whole university subject on just this one letter And so even if you're not a Christian person, or you know people in your life who aren't Christians, and you quote the Bible at them, and they're like, what does the Bible have to do with me? A good way to respond to that is, well, people are still studying it today. So of all the ancient books ever written, there was an awful lot of them. Only a handful are still studied today. It must have something to offer. Otherwise, why would people bother? So this is one of those, okay? This is from from this really smart guy. And this is what he says. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is quite specifically addressed to relationships. I'll just read the whole passage and then we'll come back to it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a pretty crazy section of verses here. I just want to kind of bookmark it there for a moment. We'll come back to it shortly. But this is not what I read in the many other marriage books I've been reading in preparation for this message today. In fact, what most of the books I read did was in the very first chapter would say something about how it's easy. How relationships, your relationship with your partner can be fixed easily. Easily. I'll I'll prove it to you. Here is a section taken straight out of... Next slide for me, please. Straight out of a marriage book. And I'm not going to give away the title, just in case there's someone who really loves it and they get offended. But this is what... In the first couple of pages, this is how it began. So many individuals don't feel loved or communicated with by their spouse. If you or your spouse is feeling like this, it is all right. There is a solution, and it is simple. It is just a matter of rewiring or learning about your spouses, dot, dot, dot. So many of the books, it's just like, if you just learnt this one thing, it would all be simple. If relationships were simple, like, why on earth is the world happening? Like, like I, I googled, like, What celebrity couples have broken up in the past six months? I thought I'd show it to you, and the list was too long. I'm like, forget that. That's just ridiculous. Like, breaking up seems to happen so much, and yet apparently it was just simple all along. Um, Like, I don't know if you're like me, I have this kind of interest in those kind of personality test stuff that people do, like Myers-Briggs had a bit of a go of that. Apparently an ENTJ, if that means something to anyone. There's another one kind of becoming popular now called the Enneagram. I'm a three, if anyone's interested. There you go. That's another thing out there. There's this this book written about maybe 20 years ago called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, kind of describing what people are like and getting into the nuts and bolts of your individual personality. When I was, just before I got married and after I got engaged, I thought I'd try and figure out marriage because I was a smart 20-year-old, whatever. Uh, So I bought the Five Love Languages book. Maybe some of you might have read that too. All of these books have heaps of truth in them, right? I'm not saying they don't have truth in them. They were all extremely helpful. Knowing how my personality naturally goes is helpful. Knowing what it looks like when I'm having a bad day and being able to aware of the signs is helpful. Knowing how I express and experience love is helpful. All of those things are actually really, really helpful. But there is a danger, I think, if we get too much into the kind of marriage advice industry that relationships start to become a bit transactional. It starts to become a little bit like my rights and my needs. And here are your rights and your needs. And as long as we meet each other's rights and needs, it'll all be fine. And we kind of know that that doesn't, in real life, really work. If it's just like, if you just do this one thing, the whole marriage will be fine. And if you just do this one thing... The whole marriage will be fine because these are my needs and this is what I want and this is what your needs are and this is what you want. As long as we meet each other's needs and what we want, it'll all be fine. First of all, that's really hard to do. That quote before said, it is simple. It is not simple. I don't even understand my own needs sometimes, let alone be able to describe them to somebody else. And to be honest, a lot of my needs are completely like over-the-top ridiculous, as if anyone could possibly meet them. A transactional marriage, I imagine, if I say today, the goal of this is that you would leave today with a marriage that will last, either the one you're in now, one you may well be in, or the one you're hoping that your kids will one day have. If you walked away thinking that all it is, is just this transaction that you've got to do, you would not walk away feeling particularly romantic. as though this was really, really worth it. But it's actually not what the biblical model of love is. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus that's what the verse said go back to that verse the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his advantage here is the key idea you might have picked it up already so i saw a couple of nods then before god we are all equal All of us are all equal. Before God, we're all equal. Between each other, we are equal. Man, woman, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, all equal. We are all equal. But in love, we don't use our equality to our advantage. Just because we are equal with the person next to us, the person we're married to, just because we will be equal one day to the person we're married to, just as we hope that our child will marry someone who they are equal to one day, in your relationships, you do not use your equality to your advantage. It's not saying, well, my rights are this and your rights are that, and we better make sure it all evens out in the end because we're equal. No, we humble ourselves ourselves. In our relationships, you, me, come second. Not because we are second, but we humble ourselves to second place. When you were falling in love, this was easy. Um, I can t- I'll tell you a story of it. Um, a friend of mine um, and, and, and this girl were kind of like interested in each other. But he was like the sort of non-committal guy, you know, the guy kind of like didn't want to like stop living the life that he wanted to live and all that so she's like well okay I got to really get his attention so he knows that I'm worth committing to and so she faked an interest in surfing I don't know if you ever faked an interest with someone while you were dating them she got herself aboard she then went and taught herself how to surf and then he wanted to go surfing one day and she said I'll come with you and up they both went and sure enough she was like not rubbish at it. She could kind of do it. She could. Did she like surfing? No. No, she was afraid of sharks. <laughs> anyone who's a surfer knows there's probably sharks out there, but don't worry about it. But anyone who's not a surfer is just thinking about the sharks all the time, right? They're like any moment now it's coming for me. They saw that Mick Fanning video where that famous surfer punched a shark, and they're like, I'm not going to get punched. I'm going to get bitten, and they are terrified. She was that sort of person, but. Because she felt like she loved this guy, she put herself and her needs and her rights... Should she have to go surfing? No. Would she anyway? Yes. Why? Because she wanted to. When you're falling in love, it's so easy to put your rights second, isn't it? It's so easy to not consider equality something to be used to your advantage, but to just do the thing that they're interested in. Perhaps um, it's like... When I was at Hungry Jack's, and after I had to finally convince this girl to start dating me, we then would have a conversation in Hungry Jack's. There'd be fries, there'd be cheeseburgers, and she would talk. And everything she said was incredibly interesting. Not, every single word was like, honey, so sweet. I, I could not, like if someone else tried to have a conversation with me at that time, I wouldn't be unable to listen, because I was so enraptured with her fascination with that band or that movie or whatever it might be. When we're falling in love, it's so easy to not worry about, are they listening to my stories? I'll just listen to theirs. It's so easy to just listen and not think, oh, we're not getting even amount of speaking time. That's not fair. We don't think that when we're falling in love. When we're falling in love, the idea of putting our rights second... Is easy. People who keep in love just don't stop doing that. I see it in my own parents. My mom's a terrible storyteller. She just, like, you know how a good story, you kind of build up tension along the way and then you surprise everyone at the end with how it ends and everyone's like, whoa, wow, my mom can't do that. I don't know what, like, she missed the lesson in how to tell a story, but she always gives away the good part far too early. And so at the end of it, everyone's just like, and then what happened? She's like, oh, that's it. I'm like, oh, okay. So they all thinking, you should have just put that funny part at the end and everyone would have loved your story, but you just can't figure it out. And my dad's a good storyteller. Um, he, he can tell a, a lot of like really funny, funny jokes. But does he ever correct my mum when she's mid-story and he knows he, she's butchering it? She never he never corrects her. Like. Does he use his equality to his advantage? Does he hear the story and think, you're butchering it, I better interrupt you to stop you from wrecking it. I better humiliate you in front of the whole table just to make sure that the story gets told right. No, my dad just quietly listens the entire time and then fakes a bigger laugh at the end and it was deserved. Because her rights come before his. People who stay in love found it easy to give away their rights when they were dating and they just don't stop doing that once they are married it's happened to me too um, if you could skip two slides down there's a picture of like a dome keep going one more one more that's it um, about two years ago I got to go to Chicago this is a picture of Chicago that I took it's such a cool place um, it's a massive city I, I kind of try to describe it as like someone took Brisbane and then just photocopied four of them and put them all next to each other and that's kind of how what Chicago is like it's massive I got to go there for work. It was a two-week trip. Went to a bunch of uh, American schools, American colleges, just to kind of see what the American education system is doing, what some high-performing schools are doing, just so that in my own work I could kind of be better at it. Um, Got to go to a conference, hear some of the best speakers um, in the world, share some stuff about leadership. It was a fantastic experience. And my wife had to pay for that, really. Not in the sense of financial payment. I've got four kids at home. Uh, one of whom has a fairly significant lifelong disability and for us to be able to go for me to be able to go away for two weeks really was a case of her being willing to do solo parenting really hard job for two weeks on her own and not once did she hold it against me not once did she say this is not fair not once has she said you owe me a trip now now in my head i'm thinking i do and I hope she's got a bunch of girlfriends who want to go on a cruise or something sometime. And I'm kind of trying to make that happen. But she has never, ever suggested that somehow I owed her. I'm not very good at putting myself second. I come up here this morning saying, this is what works. And this is important. But it's something I'm learning. But I have seen it in action. I've seen it done to me. I've seen my parents do it. Hopefully there's someone in your life that you can think of that does this themselves. That when the story is being told, they don't correct their partner. When they're on the phone, they say, "You hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, you know, <laughs> after you, no, after you, please, you sit down, no, please, you sit down that's well, I think that's what we hope for, isn't it? Like when we're old in the nursing home and we still have date night in the cafeteria there's in there, you know, like and the, you you love to see the the older couple still opening the door for their partner and saying, "You first, because we know. That intentionally putting ourselves second is the key to a marriage that will last. That is the model. So in your relationships, be as Christ Jesus. Jesus could have come along and said, I'm God. Too bad. Okay, you do things my way now. I'm equal status to God. You're nowhere even close. So it's my way. Let's do this. You're damned. You're damned. You're damned. You know, like We could have done whatever he wanted. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but humbled himself, intentionally placed himself second. I just want to clarify, if you are in an abusive relationship, that is not a relationship. That's something else. We are talking about a marriage where two people want to love each other. I appreciate that in a room of this size, there's sure to have been some terrible relationship stories in here. I just want to clarify This doesn't mean you'd be a doormat and be abused. And if you are worried that you might be having that happen to you, speak to someone. A third party will have a much better idea of what your situation is possibly than you do. But if you're in a a relationship where you're moving forward and you just want to get that thing going, the relationship advice I have for you, straight from Jesus' example, is we don't use our equality to our advantage, but we put ourselves second. Last thing, and I'm done. There's this bloke named John Gottman. Here's a picture of him. He's a researcher. In the 70s, he basically had this brainwave that if he could conduct observational exper- ex- exper- experiments sorry on things like heart disease, why couldn't we do the same thing for relationships? Could we figure out what the kind of critical factors were that made a relationship work? So quite seriously, John Gottman took the biggest ever um, study of human uh, marriages and just videotape them interacting with each other and came up with a principle they thought would be able to guess if the marriage will last or not last and had a 94% success rate in guessing. So he could, like, videotape your marriage and then play it back to his team of researchers and they could work out if you were going to make it or not based on just like, it's incredible research. Um, yeah, This is... Yeah, this is crazy, I thought. He said that um, in doing so, we've been able to predict with startling accuracy which couples would stay together. And we are now aware that specific patterns and interactions in your marriage are part of a process that can lead to divorce, and you can know how to reverse those patterns, and that may indeed help you back away from the slippery slope. So his intention was twofold. One, can we figure out what causes some marriages to last and some not? And where we can, can we do something about it? He wasn't just research for research's sake. This is research for applications' sake. And the magic answer, which sounds an awful lot like love one another, which sounds an awful lot like don't use your equality, use your advantage, but put yourself second, here is what he came up with. He said that happiness isn't found in a particular style of fighting or making up. Rather, our research suggests that what really separates contented couples from those in deep marital misery is... Here it is, is a healthy balance between their positive and negative feelings and actions towards each other. Put another way, he's simply saying that if you're looking at the interactions between a couple, how many healthy interactions are they having versus negative are they having? And it's not even... It's not one-to-one. One. It's not equality. <laughs> like it's not, as long as you have one positive to one negative, you're all right. It's not even close to that. But he did mathematize it because he's a scientist. When you hear it like this, it does sound a bit cold. And I'm not suggesting that you take this ratio and think, okay, i just got to get to that number and everything will be fine. But it does just show the scale of the inequality that you have to be kind of pushing for. The ratio is five-to-one. So 5 positive interactions to every one negative interaction if that ratio is maintained 94% chance your marriage will stay like that's a like what the heck that's so weird isn't it I always kind of get a bit annoyed when I think that my relationship can be brought down to a number like that doesn't seem fair but then it goes on the um his research has come up with I've actually made a typo on my next slide but anyway I did have nine and then I put two together and made it eight so I should have changed that to eight ways But anyway, here's eight ways to contribute to your five to one. Eight ways to put yourself second. One, show your interest. When they're speaking, say, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Make a bit of eye contact. A really good one is to retell what they told in your own words so that you prove that you listened. So what you're saying is dot, dot, dot. Two, be affectionate. Quiet acts like holding hands while watching TV or vocalizing a happy memory. We are the stories we tell about ourselves, right? And so often it's so easy to tell the stories of the bad things that happened at work that day, right? Why not replace with like, do you remember that time we? And then just tell a fond memory. We are the stories we tell about each other and there are happy memories that can be retold. Show you care. A text when work is hard, picking a flower and giving it. The five to one isn't about how expensive the positive thing is. It just has to be positive. Any positive counts. A flower that was probably a weed counts. Four, be appreciative. Be grateful for positive memories. Affirm their ideas. Say you got lucky by marrying them. Actually say that. Five, show your concern. Apologize and don't get defensive. Just say, I'm sorry, and leave it. Or I'm sorry, I didn't do the right thing, rather than justify all the reasons that got you to that point. Recognize when hard times are coming or when you're in them. That's a great way of showing concern, is not explaining away or proving the solution to a problem as it's there, but just acknowledging we're in a season of difficulty right now and I'm here with you. Be empathetic, feel what they feel, or at least understand their reactions. Show your joy. Let your partner know when you are excited and invite them to join in the excitement. Be silly sometimes. Have private jokes that just you and your partner know. Have fun. And number eight, be accepting, affirm their perspective makes sense, even if you don't agree with it. I saw this cool comic the other day. Um, a granny was talking to her kids and the granny says, uh, to the grandkids, sorry, the grandkids say, how do you know you're, you're still, you're, your husband still loves you? And the grandma says, I'll show you how. And then she calls out to the, her husband, hey, husband, I know I'm in the back end of my career, just letting you know, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start a worm farm because that's what I really love. And the husband pokes his head around the corner and he says, wow, I'll support you no matter what you want to do. And then she looks back at and says, see, <laughs> she didn't actually want to start a worm farm. This is just a little like, he will support me no matter how crazy my idea is. Even the worm farm idea. So let's review. First, second, last. First of First importance, love, a verb, something you do, not, not a pool that you jump into and that you jump out of when it gets cold. Love is an action. And if you're not feeling the love, you need to actually put love into action. Two, what does that mean? Putting love into action means not taking a quality to your advantage, but humbling yourself, putting their interests above your interests. Here, you sit down, let me open the door for you. Not butchering their story when they're telling their story. Not keeping record. So make sure the ledger's even up at the end. Because we want your marriage to last. And the research says the way to make it last is just keep depositing positive interactions daily, daily, daily. The research was crazy. They they researched like these really full-on couples. You might have met them who like shout when they fight. Like real full-on. Like, whoa, you guys get angry. I have a, a couple friend who like, their fights, if my if my wife and I had a fight like they have their fights, we would like be in serious trouble. But they are totally fine. And the reason is because though their fights are one negative, they match it with the five positive nonetheless. It's not like you have to be this cookie-cutter version of a marriage to get your five to one. A five to one can work no matter what your marriage style is, as long as you keep depositing positive over and over and over again. It's crazy, but it's a way of just saying. I'm not going to keep record of how many I'm getting. I'm just going to keep depositing because I'm going to put myself second. Just the critical thing, just as Jesus did for us. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to acknowledge that you are God and I am not. And as I get up here today to talk about marriage and how to make a marriage last, I'm not speaking from the wisdom of my own experience. God, I acknowledge that I have failed in this area many times, that there are days when I count up how much I am owed by my wife. I confess that sin to you today. I place it at the foot of the cross and thank you for your forgiveness. God, I pray that I can use the cross and what it's won for me. I can use the Holy Spirit within me today to begin to live a life that you want us to live. God, I pray that the people of Creekside Community Church would be known known amongst each other for their love for one another. And they would even be known in the community for the way they love one another. God, I pray that the marriages in this community would be safe. God, I pray for your protective power over anything that is like getting in the way and wrecking things. God, I pray for unconfessed sin, that you would sort that out. God, I pray for forgiveness and for healing. And God, I pray that we can walk out these doors today thinking, you know what? Although this relationship has not been awesome all the time, today, God, because of you, because you humbled yourself on a cross for me, then I can pick a flower for my wife every now and again. I can hear her story and not correct it. I can listen to their ideas and not say that's crazy. God, I pray we will regularly deposit love into our partner's life with no counting of how many times we're doing it, but we do it all the time. While it was easy when we were falling in love to put our interests second, I pray we'll just not stop doing that. I pray would we would be a community of love, a community that puts love of one another as first importance. In your name, amen. Amen.